you can tell that Halloween's right around the corner. Uh, and it's not just uh, because of the, the tricks and the, uh, um, the, the kind of the ominous, you know, witches in the sky and, and, and bats and jack-o'-lanterns and ghouls. Um, it's because we're getting back into the weird Arthur episodes. Arthur episodes are weird again. <laughs> So, th- so that was that was your you know beyond the, the leaves turning orange, yeah. uh, the pumpkins on people's stoops, yeah. the uh, you know the uh, the scary TikToks yeah. and all that, yeah. the the makeup challenges and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was it was this it was this fifteen year old Arthur episode being strange. Yes, that led you to remember. I said, by golly, it truly is. I thought they were going to cancel Halloween. Um, <laughs> it turns out. You can't. Halloween's more than just a day. Will it's an idea. It's a state of mind, and by golly, um, Halloween lives on. And by living on, I mean this Arthur episode from 15 years ago was odd. <laughs> you better believe it. I was reminded that it was Halloween because of some of your some of your letterbox oh, reviews. Oh yeah, I've been trying to uh, all year long. I, I'm a big vibe based movie watcher. Will. In the summertime, I like to watch things with the summer vibe. In the wintertime, I like to watch things with a winter vibe. And mm-hmm. one of the kind of unfortunate uh, side effects of being a vibe-based uh, uh, movie aficionado is that uh, I have a very limited time where I can watch um, I can watch horror movies because it's I'm like oh so I gotta you- wait for the spooky season. Um, so you restrict you restrict yourself outside of like the fall and October? Not really, not really. But okay. uh, I, I'll I'll watch horror movies year round. I mean, there's horror movies for the whole year. Will like for instance, I would not watch My Bloody Valentine during the Halloween season. That's a strictly oh, a Valentine's Day movie. Um, of course. That being said, I really wanted to indulge in the more uh, uh, era, not era, but uh, season seasonally appropriate fair uh so i've been trying mm-hmm. to only watch kind of halloween adjacent movies thus far this october and it's been a lot of fun i mean yeah it's really cool to see i mean that's what that's what i like letterbox for but it, i was i was very happy to see favorable reviews for some of my favorite halloween movies like halloween and its recent sequel yeah. uh halloween 3 as well and uh, day of the dead which is also my favorite of the dead movie day of the and dead. that seems to be yours well, too People do not talk enough about how insane that movie is. It, it goes places, <laughs> it's, man. It, that movie uh, is an overacting showcase. I was having an absolute blast listening to all these people scream at each other. Uh, <laughs> Colonel Colonel Rhodes, uh, this is one of my favorite useless facts out there. Um, the guy who played Colonel Rhodes has really not been in a whole bunch of other movies, which is a shame. I love him. I know. He's kind of like he, a bizarro Ray Liotta. A little bit. I can see that. He is the voice of the Digimon Metal Greymon in the first season of Digimon. Whoa. Okay. Of all of all of the roles, it's like one of the least, like, I don't remember Metal Greymon saying two words other than his own name. So <laughs> what a waste for him. But yes. Uh, big fan of that one. It's very, we we rewatched it a month or two ago, and because it was on it was on Tubi, and it was a real a, re, a real quarantine watch. Uh, 
Yeah, well, it makes sense, right? Being quarantined up. That that that's that's also I would say thematically appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. But no, yeah, I think the next one we to watch is. You ever see From Beyond? No, like, I've heard. I I'm, I know what you're talking about, but I haven't I haven't seen it. Yeah, yet. that's that's the next one on the docket. I think it's from the guys who is made Reanimator. To... Oh, and it's about like love, they like stimulate someone's pineal glands so much they turn into a crazy monster. Yes, definitely heard of it before, and uh, yeah, I'll be looking forward to more of your reviews there on Letterboxd. Um, if, in case anybody wants to check out our Letterboxd, uh, Lucas, uh, yours it's my, is it's in my. T- uh, Twitter bio. Just go to look up uh, Lucas Mancini on Twitter. Uh, Lucas underscore Mancini. And then uh, you can ch- catch it in the Twitter bio while you're there. And I am also William Y on Letterboxd. But this is, I mean, contrary to popular belief, this is not a movie podcast. Not all the time. This is a episodic Arthur podcast. It's called Elwood City Limits. My name's Will Young, and Lucas Mancini is my co-host. Speaking of watching things, Lucas, did you get a chance to see the new Arthur short that was put out uh, just about a week or two ago? Uh, what did it entail? So it was all about how Muffy was had to be educated by her friend Francine into wearing a mask. Oh, I, I don't think I saw this. Oh, so that's one you can find on all Arthur's social media. They're very good about putting it out there and making it public, and we try our best to also give it some reach as well. It was very good. It was very much in a non-confrontational kind of way, reminding kids who would be watching Arthur, younger kids, why wearing a mask is important. And uh, at the end, at the end, we get to see that both Muffy and her father have are not uh, mask truthers. They have adopted the mask, so don't worry too much about them. And it's, I mean, it, again, it's one of those one of these great little shorts that they've been doing this year. Um, of course, while their schedule is a little bit disrupted, and it's been, I, I think. At least I hope it's been helpful for kids. And also, it's helpful for somebody like me to just be like, man, I'm glad we're doing, a sh- we're doing a podcast about this show that has people's health and safety in mm-hmm. mind. It got me thinking, not to spend too much time on this uh, whole corona thing, because I know some people, uh, we, we escape to podcast land away from mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, the doldrums of the day-to-day. Uh, but that being said, I was thinking about the other day about, like, what do you think... Um, within the next three years or so, because uh, you're already starting to see with TV shows, which have a, a way shorter production pipeline, um, our kind of current reality being reflected in media, right? Like in ads yeah. specifically, everyone's got masks on. It's it's a post-COVID world in ads. And I, I'm, I'm sure like fictional TV shows are going to soon be following suit, where if anything takes place in current day, everyone's going to be wearing masks. But do you mm-hmm. think... That we're going to see, like, full CGI animated features uh, that take place in current day where we're living in, like, mask world, post-corona mask world. I was thinking about the the other day, because, like, often Pixar movies and stuff like that, they take place in current day, you know, you're, you're uh, in, what's what's that movie called? Inside or whatever? The the one with the emotions? In, inside inside, inside out? out, exactly. Is that tier of movie going to end up having a world where, like, everybody's wearing masks in public and stuff? That's a good question. Off the top of my head, I would kind of trend towards not really, because I feel like a lot of people want would want 
I feel like escapism is going to sell in terms of uh, mm. trying to get away from this thing. Now, I do think that there will be, at some points, when we're kind of back to a fuller production schedule of movies and TV and all that kind of stuff, there's going to be a lot of like live action. I'm thinking like, you know, uh, lo-fi kind of comedies, drama series about the pandemic, oh, about this kind of new culture. It's going to happen, man, yeah. and I, I really think so. But in terms of animation, I think that probably what I foresee happening is that you get you know, a new cartoon that's being made the next couple of years for like Cartoon Network or, you know, what like a Craig of the Creek type show. And then you might have the characters casually still wearing masks because I feel like masks aren't going to go away. It's yeah. going to be like, it's going to be a country like Japan mm. where they have, or, or con- country, other countries that have, you know, mask wearing is just part of the culture. Some people are, you know, just want to be extra careful. And so I think that's going to be looked at a lot more favorably as we go forward here. And it will be represented in some way uh, in cartoons, but I, I wouldn't say it would be the main feature. Like I feel, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's more. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think there, I'm not talking about like a CGI movie about coronavirus, but mm-hmm. um, okay. that's, that's, you kind of answer my question and that like, yeah, will the world kind of adjust in a way? Um, I guess this is less a question about animation and more a question about kind of mass in general in that, like, where will we have that cultural shift? Cause when you think about mm. the production time for like a CGI feature, it's like what, four years? Maybe more. I, I don't really know much it's, about this. It's a lo- it's a long time. It's a number of years. Yeah. So I guess I suppose it, it's it's more a question about what's the world gonna look like, you know, four, yeah. three, five years from now. Um, and it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that we we probably won't know uh, until we get there. Yeah, and I I actually kind of do look forward to see how this period of time is represented by our media. Mm. I've often because said it, I've often said that you know I can't wait until we get these you know we we have all these like lovingly nostalgic uh, recreations of the '80s and media. I can't wait till we get to you know sitcoms talking about like remember in 2014 when everyone was wearing Coney T-shirts. I can't wait till my generation <laughs> ages up to the point where um, the the media gatekeepers are all trying to appeal to me and my nostalgia. Oh, yeah. The Coney 2012 t-shirts are going to be like the vote for Dukakis shirt. Yeah, oh my goodness. That's a good call, though. Uh, yeah, so definitely check out this new Arthur short. I think they usually upload it on their Facebook, their Twitter, and I believe Arthur also has an official YouTube, so you can probably find it there as well. Uh, all right, let's, uh, we've had a couple of emails that have come in here, uh, in the, in the two weeks since we've been away from ECL, so let's take a look here, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com, one of them comes from, uh, loyal listener, LionDogZXA, been a while since they've emailed, and they wanted to point out a detail from a previous episode, so in the Family Fortune episode, which was the Antiques Roadshow knockoff, Buster shows off a hockey card with Jacques Nettoyer on it. This is a reference to the Arthur book, Arthur and the Goalie Ghost, a book where Buster receives visions of the late Jacques Nettoyer that helps him play hockey. What? And this never became an episode? I know! Like we've we've been we've been waiting for Arthur to get weird. That sounds plenty weird to me, man. No, not only is it is it uh, Halloween appropriate because there's a ghost. It's also well within our wheelhouse as Canadians because there's a goalie. Yeah, and most and most likely a French Canadian goalie at that. So a little a little bit close to a little bit close to home, man. 
I'm going to get my hands on Arthur and the Goalie Ghost. Um, that sounds like something that uh, you might find uh, in, a th- in a thrift store if you're... Uh, if you're eagle-eyed, let's say. Moving on to the unfinished episode, I appreciated how this episode might have predicted the advent of lost media, with Arthur reaching out to users on a message board to track down the book. I also loved the book 93 Million Miles in a Balloon and actually wish it was a real book. One detail that got a chuckle out of me was that ex- was the extravagant wording used for the book. It reminded me of my recent reading of Sherlock Holmes stories. Also, don't worry, Will, I like Back to the Future Part 3, too. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, with the popularity of Clone High, who would win in a fight, Binky or JFK? Thanks for the podcast. Well, I mean, Lucas, are you much for Clone High? I've seen Clone High, and I've especially, of course, been inundated with the memes now that it's coming back amongst the Zoomers on TikTok and stuff. Uh, Which which has been very pleasing, I must say. I I will say that uh, probably JFK would win, because Binky, as we've seen time and time again, actually isn't much in a fight when it comes to fighting someone his own size or bigger than him. He's The only times we've actually ever seen him, like, uh, beat somebody up was when he punched Arthur. Um, we haven't actually seen him roughhouse much, many people uh, said. So, whereas JFK is, like, a literal, like, sociopath in Clone Eye. Uh, and so, and he's and he's basically a grown man at that yeah, point, yeah. so it's a little unfair. Yeah, I would say that JF, my money's on JFK. Uh, though I bet, yes. bet Binky could outsmart... JFK at a game of wits, potentially, uh, and at least he has the backup. Exactly. I don't think JFK. Uh, nobody JFK likes doesn't... JFK, uh, whereas uh, you know Binky is beloved by his peers. Right. Uh, and another one here from Christine Wong, another one of our patrons. Uh, so, and Christine says, "Hello. Hope you're not too smug in your Atlantic bubble." Well, not yet. Oh no, the Atlantic it's... bubble just burst, Christine. Didn't you hear? New Brunswick has like. 13 cases, which I'm sure yeah. that's that's astronomically small to some of our listeners, but for us here, it's high drama in the Atlantic bubble. Getting a little nervous. I love the last episode, particularly Binky versus Binky, and not just because I've also fallen off my bike and into a bush. Oh no. After spending much of spring and summer wistfully staring at riders whiz past the bike lane in front of my house, I've finally gone on a bike for the first time in about 15 years this past July. It has truly changed my life since it has allowed me to get some fresh air in a totally social distance way. It's really true that you never forget how to ride a bike. Due to my inadequacy in PE class and always being the last one picked, I spent so much of my life thinking of exercise as a way to punish my body for its shortcomings. If I could go back in time, I would tell my younger self the message that was in this episode. The only person you're competing against is yourself. It doesn't matter how many more push-ups the person next to you does. You need to keep you need to listen to yourself first and everyone else second. I've truly come out of the lockdown with a greater appreciation for my body and what it can do as well as the kind of exercise I enjoy. It's totally fine if four days in a row I can bike up a steep hill and the next day I have to walk my bike up. It doesn't mean I'm regressing. It just means that my body needs a break. It's always important to be gentle and kind to yourself. And if you're wondering, yes, I listen to Elwood City Limits while I ride my bike around the neighborhood. So truly, for every listen your podcast gets from me, there's really about 30 people who have heard a snippet or two. Thanks for producing SFW content for my rides. Well, you don't have to worry about that. We don't normally get to, we don't normally get to NSFW around here. Well, if you're that's if you're riding your bike mistake. up the hill right now, just know uh, push harder. Uh, you, yeah, you you can got do this, it. Christine. You got this, Christine. 
uh, pedal to the metal, uh, 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 you know, uh, keep on trucking, keep your stick on the ice, uh, you can do it, um, you're almost there, uh, oh my you're goodness. You're gonna feel amazing when it's all yeah, over. Yeah, you, we're, we're pulling for you here in, in Radioland, uh, okay, and you've mounted the hill, hooray, congratulations. Yay. Yay. So here, just take that snippet and ensure that you play it, uh, make sure you have that timestamp memorized. Next time you have to take on that hill. Great idea. I'm glad glad you took the lead on that one. Thanks, everybody, for your emails at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. And it's time to say thanks to another, uh, to a valued segment of our listenership, although we love all of our listeners, uh, our patrons at patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. Uh, help keep the lights on, help keep things going. We're getting closer and closer to one of our goals over on Patreon, and we really appreciate it from everybody and hope that everybody is enjoying uh, our For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast. We're having a lot of fun making it. I want to say hello to brand new patrons, Robert Morrison and Bob Yee, and I'm going to go in reverse order here. We've got Leanne S. and John Dulong from the very start. Ian Collis, Light Relentless, Dan Mike Dawson Silva, Teresa John Griswold, Shander Lefave Boten, Emily K, Froppy, Stella, Christine Wong, one of our emailers, Joe Sue, Riley Stevens, Macy Ball, Jake Bailey, Kevin Noon, Kaylin Krogull, Caitlin Harrington, Shayna Bennett, William, Aaron DeFilippo, Kat, Sierra S., Kristen, Michaela Gibson, Rachel Pearson, Marlo Stanfield, Pretty Cool Stairs, Matt, Andrew Power, Melissa Avales, Lily W., Yoshi, Greg Hagai, Christine Lascody, EJ Acra, Lion Dog ZXA, one of our other emailers, Lee Goldson, Owen, Michelle Sprzynski, Ursula Cat, Jolo Flo, Daniel Uptograph, Mason Bishop, Lawrence Valeria, Nicholas DeMarco. I hope I got that right. Just checking. Yes, okay. It's uh you know kind of abbreviates the name a little bit. Alistair, Mary Archambault, Hannah Kitten, Jeffrey Gao, and Allison Archambault. You know, once we get to a certain length, I'm probably going to have to uh, retool the reading of all the names. Not that not that I don't like doing it, but uh, we'll have to we'll have to see about that. Maybe only a few names per episode. But for right now, for where it stands, we're gonna read them all. So and say a big thank you. Now, Will, we're getting close to a Patreon goal. I am to believe that the Monster Hunter film will be in theaters. Uh, uh, now, now, hmm. Now, uh, okay. So, I mean, l- listen. We've done movie reviews for the show in the past, but the thing is, is that Detective Pikachu right. and Sonic the Hedgehog right. were based off of cartoons. Right. Uh, I uh, don't. Whoa, 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 I, I, whoa, whoa, whoa! They were based off video games that were based off cart that had cartoons based off them. <sighs> All right. I'm not saying no. <laughs> Maybe I'll put that to a patron poll. <laughs> That's right. And We're, wait, listen, Will, I'm nothing if not a man of the people. If we if we ask the people, the dear Patreon listeners, do they want to hear uh, Will's opinion of the newest Mila Jovovich, <laughs> Paul W.S. Anderson epic Monster Hunter starring Mila Jovovich? Will, I read an article the other day that they are going to put the cats in the movie. There are indeed pal- calicos. Calicos? I don't remember. I don't. I don't play I don't, Monster Hunter. I've, but the cats from, Monst- the cats from Monster Hunter are in that movie. Will I tried to play Monster Hunter once and realized I did not have the patience for it. So I'm kind of useless when it comes to this. Mm. Well, maybe you'd like um, it more if it had Mila Jovovich. There is a distinct possibility. <laughs> Who knows? I ended up liking both of those other movies that we saw 
By the way, another reason to get our Patreon is to get our uh, ir- irregular movie show. Uh, movie review show, I should say. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll see about that. It would also be interesting to talk about our time. This, If that were to indeed happen, that would be my first time back at a movie theater. Um, when is when is Monster Hunter coming oh, out? Oh, let's take a look here. Um, Monster in, 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 in potentially a year. Hunter film. Let's take a look. Uh, Monster Hunter is a upcoming fantasy action thriller film. Wow, really? A potpourri of genres directed by Paul W.S. Anderson based on the Capcom video game. It is coming out December 30th, 2020. So ushering in mm. the new year. Sounds sending like- out the uh, much maligned 2020 with a bang. And that bang being Mila Jovovich's uh, performance in uh, Monster Hunter. Well, it sounds like it could be a very uh, busy holiday season, hint, hint, for our patrons over at patreon.com slash limits. But enough of all that. Enough of Monster Hunter. Enough of movies. Let's talk about Arthur here. So we are talking about, first of all, do you speak George? And we get the classic lineup. I don't think it's ever gotten... There's ever been a bigger feeling of the gang's all here than this cold open, that, where it's literally every main Arthur character you care about. That's right. No, none of this DW preschool stuff. Uh, no more talking pal and Kate. This is the OG squad, the day ones. We recently asked on the Discord, we were talking about favorite characters, and uh, more than a couple of these people came up, so uh, this is as classic as it gets. We even, so they're all on a hayride and talking about all the cool stuff that they've done together in the past as a group, and how much fun they have. Uh, So, and even George gets in at the end, albeit still a little bit forgotten about. He's kind of, he's kind of running after the hayride, like, wait for me! So, but at least he's there in some form. So it really was, you know, sans DW, everyone you care about from third grade Lakewood Elementary. So this episode is all about the kids making up different languages to speak together. Uh, I know that sometimes this is a, this is a function of siblings or close friends, was this? Did this ring any bells for you, Lucas? Did you ever do anything like this? No, and not to spoil kind of the trajectory of the episode, but I, like George, uh, have dyslexia. Uh, and so if anybody tried to do this with me, much like how it works out with George, it would simply be impossible. <laughs> yeah, um, the, we will be getting into that in just a little bit, but I was kind of curious after you said that. The, the first one we're introduced to is Francine and Muffy have created a new language named Ula, where basically... They insert Ula. It's kind of like Ubby Dubby from Zoom, where they just insert Ula into every word. And it's like when when I discovered Pig Latin in elementary, right around the to- right around this time. Um, it's just like I couldn't stop saying it, and I was so enamored with this language that was English but not English. Just a kind of funny way to do it. So Arthur and Buster are a little bit frustrated with this, so they decide to create their own language called Arster Buther. Like it's, I had to, I had to look this up because I could barely tell what Arthur was saying, and their language is where you take the last letter of a word and you put it first. So instead of radio, it's o radi. They even have a rule for if you get a consonant next to a consonant, you got an i. Which I, so, I will say, I am impressed with these boys uh, coming up with a, a like. Ula is one thing, but um, oh geez, I can't even pronounce it. How do how do you say their language again? Uh. U- 
Ula or Ar- Arster Booth Arster Buther. Arster Buther. Let's just say Arster for short. Uh, okay. Is is fairly complicated, uh, given that what these are eight year olds, nine year olds. Yeah, eight year olds. But it is right around the time when you would be kind of your brain would be at its most elastic and able to kind of take in new information like this. It's pretty. It's pretty interesting. Um, and George kind of wants to learn how to do it, but, th- and, and immediately I caught on to like, um, you know, George is like, I've been studying the language for the last two days and I still am having trouble with it. Whereas Arthur and Buster are old hands at it because they made it up. And to which I was like, kind of unfair to exclude the dyslexic kid in terms of a, like learning a made up language, you know, cause this must be a little bit, a little bit harder for him. And he does admit as much later on in the episode. Well, like, yeah, like I have like very mild dyslexia, but things like word jumbles, like anything where like, uh, like I'm terrible at like, wheel of fortune, uh, that kind of thing. Any, oh, anything yeah. where you don't have all the information to work with, or you have to rearrange letters, or letters are out of order, it's just it's it's essentially Greek to me. Like I just it can't be done. Uh, though we do get some great stuff here. So when the you know they're kind of getting frustrated with George because George is having a tough time learning the language. Um, and this is probably my favorite running gag in the episode is that anytime anyone's speaking one of their made up languages, we get subtitles. Yes, and which is much appreciated. After a while, like, Arthur Butther was a little, I feel like I'm making, Arthur Butther uh, was a little, um, it was a little hard to parse, and I still kind of didn't understand it, even, so I'm glad that they did subtitle it after a while. Um, Sue Ellen eventually joins Muffy and Francine in speaking Ula. By the way, I, I feel, I think we might have mentioned this before, but this is, uh, uh, former guest of the show, Jessica Cardos, as Sue Ellen. So if you haven't listened to that interview that we did with her, that was a couple of years ago now, but it is on the main feed. You should check it out. Uh, so, uh, there is a part where George is like trying to commiserate with Sue Ellen of just like, man, like these made up languages are really hard to understand. And uh, Sue Ellen's about to talk to him, and Francine's like, hey, Sue Ellen, no speaking outside of Ula. Don't you know Ula La? <laughs> I like that. I, I, I appreciate that. George getting a little frustrated with all of this. So he decides to uh, go to Brain and create a new language. And they're going to bring each other their uh, their ideas the next day. So George is cranking out the ideas at home with Wally. And eventually we get a dream sequence. And I'm guessing this is one of the weird things that kind of stimulated your brain. Yeah, I have a note here that just says... Uh... Well, first of all, uh, so we see these tongue-twisting toads. Uh, yes. So so it's George walking through, like, a jungle on a safari uh, in, like, you know, typical adventurer garb with Wally. And they come across, across the tongue-twister frogs. Uh, yeah, and they are uh, very large, but they're not anthropomorphic like other Arthur characters. They're actually drawn exactly like Toadie, which was fun to see the the continuity there. That it's like the literally the exact same way Toadie's drawn, just with like a palette swap. Uh, and they're just they can't stop saying tongue twisters over and over again, like seashell, seashell by the seashore. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like that TNG episode Darmok, where they where they speak in kind of uh, metaphors. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, sorry. Maybe, maybe uh, not. I, 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 uh, is that from is, is that from before season three? No, it's uh, it's like it's kind of mid to late TNG. Oh, it's one of the, it's one of their classics. This is, this is this is I'm really showing my my ignorance here. I have no idea. 
Uh, sure. And <laughs> yes, well, it is like that. Uh, but also, then uh, George happens upon a society of tiny Georges. Uh, yes. To which the 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 Georginis. The Georginis. Uh, which uh, this is like I think I wrote down in my notes. This is unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little out there that's for sure why are they small <laughs> oh uh, my god yeah, like this, that... i'm looking at this frame right now it's at 8 35 and you just see regular sized george talking to a bunch of tiny possibly wearing culturally insensitive garb versions of himself uh mm. and it's just a wild frame we've been getting a lot of like there was a, a big, I, this is probably not already a meme, but there was a big lull in kind of the really memeable screen caps, I feel like, the past three seasons or so. And now we're getting back once again into those, like, first three seasons era of just, like, look at this image and try to explain to someone without context what's going on here. Exactly. Um, I think it's probably, like, the advent, the old, probably outdated adventurer trope of, like, meeting the, the, the tribe of small people or whatever it is well, yeah it's like willy um, wonka and, and the we're in the and the Oompa yeah, exactly both in the book and in the remake where they actually show him discovering them in the jungle so george's dream inspires him to make a language that is all based around full body gestures and uh, a little bit of rhythm as well and it's kind of a neat idea, although I had the note nobody tell nobody tell George about ASL. I know that it's it's different it's different enough, but I was also like, you know, you you could just learn ASL. That's an actual language. I know, and then like a, a, a lot of times, so he's trying to propose this language to Brain, and Brain in typical Brain fashion, it's not even that he has so much of a problem with George's language. I just feel like he just wants to poo-poo his idea and do his thing. But Brain is like, oh well, you'd have to come up with so many individual gestures, and it's like, what if you're riding a bike? And George is like, do you talk often when you're riding your bike? But uh, I was like, don't tell Brain about ASL either. Like, it, all of the problems that Brain has with George's language, um, you could have levied those against uh, ASL, which was kind of odd. I was like, this this episode feels like, it's like a zombie movie, how nobody knows where that zombies exist. Um, this, this episode feels like it, it exists in like a, a, a reality where ASL has never existed. Brain's a little like he's a little he goes a bit too hard here on George. Oh, he's yeah. just like he's basically just like that's stupid. Nobody would use that. That doesn't make any sense. And then he's, he's just like to, he's like oh I'm gonna come up with a language based on math. And it's just like oh this is class this is classic the brain we've come to dislike of just like it's like you're stupid I'm smart just like shut up you jerk. Um, there is. A- there's a montage of George trying to demonstrate his language to other people. He's like shows it to DW and she just does like the crazy head gesture of just like, okay, you don't have to call him crazy DW. And then uh, he knocks uh, over Mr. Rappard's coffee onto his papers. Yeah, and Prunella la- Prunella laughs in his face. He makes a baby cry. It's a bad day Which for Which I was George. like Prunella should know better than anyone. She's got a friend who's blind. Uh, and read yeah, and reads yeah. Braille, she should know that like this is legitimately how like some deaf people speak to one another. Yeah, totally. Like... <laughs> uh, just just a little strange when you when you kind of lay it all out like that. So George is dejected. He's at the he's at the playground, the school playground, and then Arthur and Francine get into a disagreement uh, about whose bag is whose. But they're speaking to each other. In their different languages, there is a, there is a point where like 
Buster kind of interjects himself into the argument and says, like, Francine, lay off. But it sounds like he said, UF off. Oh, my goodness. So, it was, like, I had to rewind a couple times. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's, like, the dirtiest the show's ever gotten. My goodness. This, uh, this communications breakdown here, it's almost a little bit biblical. It's always the same. It's, 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 getting, it's getting into some uh, uh, Tower of Babel vibe, vibes. Uh, r- remind me? The, what happened with the Tower of Babel in the Bible? Well, I, 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 I think I'm right on the tip of what you're talking well, about. Well, just like, just remind me? everybody was trying to build the big old tower to get to heaven. And well, then, uh, of course, of course. And then, uh, you know, God got mad at them or whatever and, and made everybody talk different. And then that's why there's communications breakdown. The tower fell, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but like here, we have this illustrated in that like everybody's fighting over this bag and it's just chaos. Everybody's speaking in their each, each other's languages. Nobody's listening to one another. It's a complete communications breakdown, um, and which kind of brings us to the end of the episode where the, the big solution is everybody wants to speak the same language. Uh, it turns out we all yeah. work together. We work better together when we can understand each other. Well, that's what, that's what that's the conclusion that George comes to. He plays mediator here, and kind of stresses the fact that they all should be speaking the same language so they can get along better. Now, George has initially has the idea of like I can teach everybody my language, and he even has like a little imagination sequence where he's like teaching it to everybody. And they've got the grass skirts on, and I'm like, okay. okay. So, yeah, I was going to say, I didn't actually have that big of a problem with the mini versions of George wearing the grass skirts. But for some reason, like, this part was, like, extra sus. Yeah. (laughs) Like, especially when these, a lot of these kids are coated white. So, it's just like, eh, we didn't need to go this far, but okay. They do kind of look like Roman Reigns' old NXT gear, though. A little bit. Yeah, I see that. George kind of looks like Jimmy Buffett with this shirt on. <laughs> he's, he's living on island time. Uh, but in his imagination, George realizes that his language is not inclusive. Because he he imagines seeing, like, for some reason he sees Jenna with a broken, like, in her arm in a cast. Or in a, in a cast and sling. And it's just like, oh, she would be left out by this. So then he's like, you know what? Let's just all go back to speaking English. It's fine. We don't have to learn my ah, language. Ah, the most inclusive yep. language of them all. <laughs> English. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate I appreciate that he came to that conclusion of like, oh, I can see where my language has limitations as well. But you're right. <laughs> I mean, English, not necessarily the most inclusive language there is. But for the purposes of their group... It yeah. is. So they wanted a future proof. That, if this episode came out in 2020, George would be like, you know what? We should all start speaking Mandarin. I have a feeling this will come, yeah. down and come in handy down the road. <laughs> uh, good point. And that's the end of that story. Like that Looper uh, movie with Joseph Gordon-Lovett. Mm, or Firefly, where everybody knows Chinese and English. Mm-mm. Now we're going to get into the second part of this episode, which I understand has quite a following. But before we do that, here's a little bit more on our following, and how to follow us. Hey everybody, it's Lucas from the Elwood City Limits podcast, and if you love ECL, there's a couple of ways to keep up with us. You can go to facebook.com slash Limits at ECL podcast. That's our Twitter. We take questions on Tumblr. 
It's elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. There is an Instagram as well, Elwood City Limits on Instagram. Of course, if you want to donate to the show and get exclusive content, whether that's our full-length commentary of the Arthur movies, our brand new uh, bi-weekly PBS Kids Review Show, as well as our video game movie reviews with the Sonic movie review and Pikachu movie review, you can check out patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. Uh, and that's also going to get you access to the Elwood City Limits Discord, which me and Will like to post in from time to time. And if you want that sweet, sweet Elwood City Limits merch, check out teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood hyphen city hyphen limits hyphen store. You can listen to the podcast at libsyn.com slash Elwood City Limits, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and there's other podcast apps like Stitcher. And if we're not on your favorite app, let us know. And where can you let us know? Well, that's going to be at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. That's also where you can send us a question and we'll read it on the show. Finally, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so is to tell a friend who likes animation or Arthur or just podcasts in general and to go to our iTunes page and rate us out of five stars. Apparently, that helps podcasts out. Bye, everybody. World Girls is one that has come up before in emails, and we recently had a Twitter thread about uh, the favorite episodes of some of our our Facebook uh, followers, our Twitter followers, even people on Tumblr and people on Instagram talking about their favorite Arthur episodes. And I did see a couple of times World Girls making its way into all-time Arthur episodes. Yeah, I was I so, I did not realize that this episode was held in such high regard. Uh, we haven't you know touched back in with this for a while now, but I'm pretty confident in saying that we are firmly ahead of where I would have stopped watching Arthur. I think we're in total uncharted territory for the both of us at this point. Like there was some episodes earlier in this season um, that I had probably remembered you know catching on TV here and there, probably back when my sister was watching it. But I think mm-hmm. now that we're at Do You Speak Georgian World Girls, I have no recollection. We're in the we're in the complete mystery zone for me. So every new episode from now on is probably going to be a total surprise, much like this one was. Okay, so it's really as we get close to the end of season ten and into season eleven, this is where we're both kind of flying blind. This is definitely one I'd never heard of. In fact, I kept confusing it with the the other PBS show, Word Girl. So it's World Girls. And then we actually start off with the dolls themselves. We have a little conversation between uh, a French world girl, a Norse world girl, and a Japanese world girl who are in kind of their own special play sets. So the the French one's on the Eiffel Tower. The Norse one is in one of those... Um, I have I do know I do know the name of it but I can't think of it right now you know one of those Norse warships I want to say and the Japanese doll is in like a man I'm just showing my ignorance here again I know, I know what this is called basic like basically a like a uh, not so much a zen garden but like she's a trimming the bonsai yeah some she's she's painting a picture actually but it, I let's just say a Japanese inspired landscape it's like an uh, Edo, so kind of talking an Edo about... period uh, you know, <laughs> castle, for instance. So they, it turns out they're having a conversation together about... Um, I actually don't remember what it was about. It's who's got the better was, culture. It... It's battle of the cultures. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting to see because the French girl and the, the Japanese girl are so insistent. Uh, uh, the Norse girl is kind of just playing mediator. 
uh, in terms of, 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 oh, listen, like they just want, they want to play with all of us, whatever. But, uh, yeah, the, the French and the Japanese are going head to head on who's got the better culture, the older culture, blah, 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 which is interesting because, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, not to stereotype, but in pop culture, you know, Japanese people tend to be big fans of the French, uh, the, the way that like Westerners, you know, weebs, uh, tend to be like huge fans of like Japanese culture. There's a significant mm. uh, uh, people who are like in Japan who are way into like the francophone aesthetics. You know the French maid stuff. Um, there's all these like anime that take place in basically fake France, fake Europe. Uh, would there so would so there would they be webs? Ooh. Well, folks, I I hate to announce it's, it's the end of the podcast. Oh, people no! keep asking, are we going to watch all the Arthur episodes? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, Will just canceled it for both of us with oh, we- webs. Webs. On, on web. <laughs> L- Liz webs. Les webs. Prime Minister Jean <laughs> Chrétien, uh, are you a fan of Japanese animation? Uh-huh. I, don't you know I'm from Showin' Again? I am a web. <laughs> I am a notorious web. <laughs> I love Attack on Titan. And I love Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan, Hunter Hunter. <laughs> this is silly. This is a silly <laughs> cowboy. Bi- cowboy. Ca- Bebou. Cowboy. Bebou. <laughs> Ca- Carol et Tuesday. Ben- <laughs> Carol et Marty. <laughs> Mars comes in like a lion. You don't even have to change Kill the Kill. That's true. Ooh, there you go. That's that's one that Cretchen could start with. Really knock him on his butt. So Stupid. let's talk about world. Wor- <laughs> you said it, pal. Uh, let's talk about World Girls for a second. This is the episode is all about the dolls here. So I had again had to look this up, and thankfully I did because this completely passed me by. Not just as a as um, someone who didn't grow up playing with dolls, but someone who didn't grow up with these dolls. That, well, actually, I guess I kind of did, but I was completely unaware of them. So they're a takeoff of the real life American Girl line of dolls, which is basically the same idea as World Girl dolls, which is they are dolls with a certain um, either uh, ethnic or national theme, because at first they were like about promoting American history and stuff, and they were sold with books about information about, you know, what time they were in or who they were. They're kind of they're kind of the role in society. So they started as, as American historical figures, but then they went current in 1995, and they've also done other cultures, I understand. So American Girls, you know, I don't think it's Barbie, but it has, it's 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 a, it's a lucrative franchise, it seems. It has its own series of movies. It has dedicated stores, like the one in this episode. There's an American Girl magazine. Uh, there's like an online uh, world that, that there is. There's even an American Girls podcast. Shout out to the American Girls podcast, which has its own Wikipedia page. So there you go. You know, I, it's funny, though, because this is one of those cases where I think the Arthur one's better. Uh, and, and maybe yeah, it's because I mean, I'm not American. But uh, I'm like, how many different girls could there possibly be in American history? I'm, I'm being reductive, I, of course. But it's just, I, I like the concept for world girls way more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at some point American American girls did kind of branch out in the way that world girls already is but yeah it is it is actually kind of a cool idea at its very base and we get to we get to kind of reckon with capitalism here 
in this Arthur episode, which is maybe why people have come back to it fondly. Speaking of capitalism, I also wanted to point out a lot is made in this episode about like how expensive world girl dolls are, which is also based off based in reality. So this is from the Wikipedia page, and I'm guessing this is in American dollars, which would mean it would probably be even more for us. So a typical American girl doll, Lucas, how much do you think just the is doll? This, is this no adjusted accessories. for inflation? It's, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's Wikipedia, so I don't know what to tell you. Um, it's, it's probably current-ish. Inf- but I'm going to say. While you, while, you, while you think about it, just hang on. Let me just Google. Let me just kind of get an idea for the price. But you, you think about what you think the price of just a doll is. Okay. Okay, what do you what do you think? I'm gonna say because so much has been made about how expensive they are, I'm gonna I'm gonna I think maybe 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 I'll be foolish here, but I I think I'm gonna overestimate. I'm gonna say will forty eight dollars for an American girl doll. Actual retail price. Now, again, this is a figure that I got off of doing my Wikipedia research. I'm on Walmart Canada right now. So the and I will say the price okay, that was, totally that was 48 varies. American. That was forty eight American. So whatever that is in Canadian yeah. dollars. So Wikipedia tells me that generally, this is probably like the average price of an American Girl doll one hundred and fifteen dollars. Ooh, ay ay ay! Will that's a brand on, new triple A video game? You better believe it. I'm on so on Walmart Canada here. I'm seeing American Girl dolls that range from. to $70 to as much as $122. So we're kind of all over the shop with this one. And again, going back to Wikipedia, an American Girl doll that has accessories that you buy separately can cost you upwards of $600. $600? Can, can, not all. Forget a AAA video game, Will. These kids out here buying PS5 dolls. I know, dude. Again, I if you if you have any interest in finding out more about American Girl dolls or anything, I would recommend you to the American Girls podcast. I'm sure they have they can tell you everything. Uh, but that's kind of my cursory look into the subject. So that kind of gave me a bit of context in terms of um, how to look at these World Girl dolls. So Muff, it's it, Muffy is one of the big parts of this episode. She has a giant collection that she's showing off to Sue Ellen. Sue Ellen is not so much interested in collecting them. She has one world girl, world girl doll uh, from Tibet because, of course, that is where a lot of her. She's been there before. Uh, I believe her uh, brother Tenzin is from Tibet, if I remember that correctly. So she's just looking for one accessory for that doll. But Muffy has an entire collection that she shows to Sue Ellen. And Sue Ellen takes exception to how Muffy has arranged them. Yeah, she put, uh, you know, girls from in the wrong spots. You know, we have, I think, is it the Japanese girl she puts at the pyramids? Cleopatra's in the sports car. Uh, And Muffy Muffy is missing what Sue Ellen is saying is the central conceit of the world girl doll is that you re- you get the doll and you read the book to find out more about their culture. It's not about uh collection, it's about 
Oh, why didn't I write that? Oh, it was it was a good line. It was what? Uh, not about collection. Oh, it was, it's about. Uh, um, uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. It's not about collecting. It's about connecting. Well, connecting. Yes. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but but uh, uh, Muppy also has a really good line where she goes, "World Girl, is it about right and wrong? It's about collecting." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now I thought this was interesting because uh, I personally disagree with both of them. Uh. I okay. think that there's this is an interesting scenario where uh, this is the this is uh, flagrant yucking people's yums in that you know if Muffy wants to collect this room full of World Girl dolls I mean who's gonna stop her uh, Muffy's just going like she's just being like an annoying Funko Pop person you know what I mean got the wall full of the the their books under glass never to be opened whatever though if that's her that's her prerogative um, and. But she's definitely being annoying. Uh, that being said, Sue Ellen is trying to police how Buffy has fun with her dolls. Uh, and though Sue Ellen has a different appreciation for them, they're both like, at the end of the day, and I think this gets into a little bit, uh, some of the stuff later on with Francine in the episode about the kind of the critique of capitalism. Uh, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. They're both just giving money to the World Girl Doll Company. It doesn't really matter if, if Buffy's being historically accurate with hers or, or, or Sowellit is kind of uh, taking in all the research and, and all the uh, extra materials and ensuring that her dolls are uh, historically accurate. Uh, at the end of the day, like, who cares? <laughs> Uh, and, and so that's why I was like, I was annoyed with Buffy here because she's being an annoying collector, but I was also annoyed with Sue Ellen because it's like, she's trying to police how someone else plays with their toys. I understand where you're coming from. Um, I think, I think it, but unfortunately Muffy sides with, like you said, the annoying collectors who I'm just like kind of a little bit allergic to in real life. Like the people who have walls of Funko oh, yeah. and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, no, the, Muffy's I, got big Reddit slash R slash Funko energy. Uh, with this one. Ugh. But uh, I understand where you're coming from with Sue Ellen. I think it's just that she has, you're right, she has a very distinct way to enjoy these where it's really like they're, they're toys, so you can pretty much do whatever you want with them. I actually fell on the side of Francine. Yes, yes. Or I was as, team as, Francine as I, as I, on this one. I, I'm so happy to hear you say that because I was found myself saying, I'm with Francine about all this. <laughs> So uh, as they're kind of talking about it, Francine is watching an advertisement for uh, World Girl World. Jeez, tongue twister. Uh, Yeah, we got to get those frogs on it. Yeah. Uh, So the, by the way, the World Girl franchise we already see has a popular toy line, book series, and now basically a theme park, which is going to be opening in Elwood City. And it's basically, it's kind of like the Disney store if you also had some Disney World in there as well. Or Disneyland. Mm, it's maybe. like the uh, it's like the uh, Toys R Us that was in Times Square that had the roller coaster inside. Yeah, or like a Lego Land, mm, mm. something like that. A branded kind of branded theme park type of location. Uh, so that's going to be opening up, and Muffy's very excited to go. Francine is against World Girl from the beginning, but because it is a, she sees it as a scheme, like basically a scheme to get rid of, like get you separated from your money. Which is like she is so on the verge of baby's first capitalism here. Like she's so close to well, understanding. Well, so, okay, so, like they, the so she calls in. them to watch this commercial, 
Uh, and yeah. the girls watch it. And they're like, that's like amazing. And D- D- so Francine says over the phone, she goes, that was disgusting. <laughs> uh, like she's just <laughs> repulsed by it. Um, and then they're trying to get Francine to come with them to the world girl grand opening. Uh, and then finally Muffy convinces her to go. And, and Francine's got this great line where she goes, I'll go, but only to prove it's a scam to sell useless stuff. Francine, the little, the littlest leftist mm. over here. She's, uh, she's kind of, she's able to see. It's like she's seeing outside the Matrix for the first time. She's, she's, she's yeah. yeah. She's got class, con- she's got class consciousness. Will, uh, that's it. That's that's what I was, That's the term I was. Though, looking and you for. know what though? I didn't even think about mm-hmm. this when we were first watching the episode. But now that we're talking about this, it kind of makes sense that Francine would be the one to come to this conclusion. Buffy, of course, part of the one percent. Uh, Buffy yes. is pretty much like immune to class consciousness, um, and Sue Ellen, <laughs> though much more worldly and, and someone who has seen many cultures across the world, you know her dad's a diplomat. Sue Ellen's not hurting mm-hmm. for uh, she's definitely upper middle class, right? To be to be yeah, upper class, she, her dad's probably pulling in six figures. It's, it's, she, she, make, she has she has she's had the privilege to be able to be exposed to all of these all of these different cultures at a mm-hmm. young age which of course takes like a t- money and yes. time and all this kind of thing francine is the most working class of the three francine's because she lives in an apartment with her family literally a unionized sanitation worker uh and they yes. live in an apartment and where she has to share a room with her sister so of yeah. course francine is seeing the forest for the trees here uh and and quite uh plainly saying this whole thing's a scam <laughs> Don't talk to Francine Frensky about hard times, baby. When you gotta, when you gotta live in the same room as your sister, that's hard times. When your, when your daddy, when, when the dump kicks him in the butt, gives him a gold watch and says a computer took your job, baby, that's hard time. So yeah, she's the, she's the real working, working, uh, the, the person from the working class here is Francine. So you're right; it does make sense for her to kind of be on this end of things. Uh, yes, you're right. Muffy convinces Francine to come by like, the, well, like we'll do a sleepover afterwards, do whatever you want. So they go to this world girl world. They overhear somebody oh saying favorite, favorite I, line I, of the episode. We, it's a mother saying we had to take a second mortgage to come here, but it's worth it <laughs> to make the girls it's happy. Like, it's basically just a store. Like, yeah, it's, it must be exorbitant to get in here. <laughs> Because it, it, it basically they just does look like a house. giant store. What? This episode came out in 2005? 2006. 2006? Oh my god, Will. That poor woman would have been decimated by the economic crisis in 2008. <laughs> she remortgaged her house in 2006? Oh yeah. no! <laughs> All for world girl world. <laughs> You like you buy a ticket to go. I mean, I, hey, th- this is all theme park. This is all theme parks. I get it. But you, it's literally you buy a ticket. To, you buy a ticket to get into a store. Like that's what they're constantly doing, and that's what Muffy's doing throughout the episode. Is she's buying every accessory and doll that she sees, just so that she can for the sense of collection, so that she can have it all. And I like I was I was kind of you know side eyeing collecting people who collect, but I understand that mentality. I think for me, it's a lot in like video games, mm. which is why I don't play like open world games very often. Cause I do have an obsessive no. personality. So I can understand how that could relate to something that you buy instead of something. Well, that I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't looking at, uh, issues of <laughs> the Japanese menswear menswear magazine, Popeye, uh, from the 1990s Ooh. on eBay, 
last night. Uh, and it's like, do I need a magazine that's all in Japanese from the 90s? Absolutely, positively not. Uh, do I want it? Yes. I mean, I think, and not, and not to, and not to say uh, for myself, I'm very, I'm very financially insecure. So that always stops mm, me from mm, being, from mm, making, mm. like, trust me, if I had money, I would make the worst decisions with it. Like I would just buy crap. I would just buy garbage mm. all the time. Like it would just not be used in the way that you should be using a great deal of wealth. Um, at some point, they talk about going to the Model UN, which I thought was funny. Um, so, the, yeah, Francine's kind of, you know, going with Muffy. She's kind of goofing on this whole thing. It seems ridiculous. But eventually she goes to, like, the sport, the like hall, the Sports Hall of Fame part of uh, World Girls. And she discovers a doll of Babe Didrikson Zaharias, who was a real person. Oh, I, I, I suspected was... as much. I learned something today. Now, they mentioned a little bit here in the episode she was like a multi-sport athlete and pioneered the idea of women playing golf. She, I, I looked her up very quickly. She's an Olympic, she was an Olympic gold medalist and 10-time LPGA champion. So she's the real deal. And this really speaks to Francine, which kind of goes back to what Sue Ellen was talking about. This is why, um, th- this is how Sue Ellen, closer to how Sue Ellen sees these dolls should be interacted with. Francine wants to learn more about Babe Didrikson Zaharias and more about her role in uh, the world of sports. So she's really in it for the book. And then later she admits like, and the doll is kind of cute. So like it kind of ends up working on her, which again, it's kind of framed as a positive thing. But on the other side, it's just like, yeah, that's how they get you. That's like, you know, you see, not not that I don't want more representation in brands, but at the same time, it's hard not to see it as a, an exercise in just widening the net for profit growths with uh, with this kind of thing. Well, no, and th- this kind of gets we we kind of the I wasn't sure at this point of the episode. I was thinking like I was trying to parse out okay what's what's the subtext here? What's going on at a metatextual level? What is this episode trying to say? Like, is this an indictment of collector culture? Uh, is this an indictment of kind of the world girl enterprise as a whole? Because it was, it was, yeah, like you said, kind of portrayed as a positive thing that that Francine was able to see kind of herself or or, or a important woman in history represented. Um, but I think this is all acknowledged when the girls find themselves in the buddy the the belly of the beast uh, in the kind of doll manufacturing line of the world girl well, and- uh, uh, headquarters. Well, and before we get there, to kind of add to what you're talking about here, um, there oh is a God. part so where... So this part was actually... Yes, this was really, really interesting. Yeah. So it's directly after this. So Ellen's trying to find the um, the um, the the accessory for her Tibet doll. But apparently, like, she goes up to customer service and the say that the Tibet doll has actually been discontinued. And my first thought was... My first and, thought was did the CCP take over World Girl? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, or the CPC? The, excuse me. I, there's no, there's no definitive <laughs> answer, but they do say that to, like, he, the person she's talking to, who just seems to be like a nine to five kind of guy, just straight up admits that like Tibet, because it's a Buddhist country, didn't generate enough accessories, <laughs> so they just discontinued it, and it's like, 
oh, they know what the, the, the people who, the writers of this episode, they knew what they were talking yeah. about. Like, this is, this is, I think is where the real focus starts to get in of like. And, and, and when, and when, and when Sue Ellen's relaying this later on, she's got a, uh, uh, a great line where she's like, now, oh no, I think the guy says this to her. He goes, now there's no Tibetan world girl worlds. <laughs> like literally yeah. the country has ceased to exist. And he even says, like, I could get you a Turkish red balloon. It's almost the same thing. You know, just just conflating Turkey and Tibet together as if they're, quote, almost the yeah, same to- thing. totally different it's cultures. Wild stuff. So eventually they get the tip that if, you know, some of the older dolls that have been discontinued go to the doll hospital. And you might be able to find the accessory there if they still have it lying around. At this point, Muffy's been collecting for hours and she's got bags and bags of dolls and she's completely tired. So they go to the doll hospital, which by the way, must be a sweet racket. Like there's some guy dressed up in like a Dr. Whites that comes out with like the doll with like a, uh, a bandage on its arm. And it's like, man, that must be a sweet gig. (laughs) We basically have to do nothing. (laughs) They just dress it up like a hospital. So they go behind the scenes and they do eventually find the main the i found i found the scene interesting so they see the assembly line for dolls which is that basically there are being like thousands and hundreds of thousands of dolls being made every day and they're just going to be continued to be pumped out and they're all alongside these like different hallways that are labeled by country and it's like stacked to the ceiling with accessories and dolls and everything to buy. And Muffy kind of breaks down a little bit here. Uh, she's just like, they they keep making dolls and, and I'm going to have to keep collecting them and I'll never have them all. And it's a kind of a, it kind of breaks them all in a way. We also get, we also get a quote here. Uh, I think I think it's when Muffy is, sees a doll from Estonia, and she's like, "Where's Estonia? I've never even heard of it." <laughs> like she's literally in tears, holding one of the dolls, and just like, "I can't keep buying them. This is too much." No, and it's like it's like you said, where this is why I think this is episode smart because it's telling us kind of what the the worldview of this episode isn't said kind of it's not hit over our heads. It's told in a subtle yeah. way, and a lot of it is visual as well. Like, there's a lot of cool stills where, like, you see the dolls on the production line, and there's, like, this unsettling imagery where they don't have any of their, like, hair or anything on them yet, but they all have the kind of same frozen, like, smiling face on the production line. Um, like, all of the imagery in this part is uh, purposefully creepy and unsettling. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I just thought of this now. Muffy's realization of, like, it will never end. Like I will have to keep collecting forever and been buying forever. It reminds me there's a, there's a YouTuber called uh crow cat C R O W B C A T. And they did a bunch of videos kind of about the video game industry. And one of them is about buying uh, skins in counter-strike and about how like people are getting excited about again, kind of like a collector mentality. And then it, in the, in the video, it just like asked the collection of like, so when you get them all, then what? Then what do you do? And I, I don't, again, I don't want to be too harsh on people who collect things. I'm sure that there are a few of them of who are our listeners, and that's cool. If you have the money and you have the means and you have the space, you can do whatever you want with that like, money. Yeah. That's just oh, how well, I, that's, I mean, that's in the, that's in the end how I feel about, collect, about collecting is that like, when does, 
when do I stop? And like I said earlier with my my thing of like why I don't often play open world games is because what my version of collecting is getting everything 100%. But then like eventually I'm putting hours and hours into a game that I might not even like that much. And I'm like, so when does this end? Like when, like when can I stop? And for me, it's just like I just have to be like push away and be like, I have to stop now. Yeah, like I again, like I don't want to say that I'm I'm also just criticizing collecting as a whole as much as we kind of uh, you know make fun of Funko Pops or what have you. Listen, you're talking to a guy who buys Criterion movies. I could just watch right. the movie anywhere. Why do I gotta buy a, a Blu-ray disc? My God. Uh, but you know, I do it cause I like them. I like the way they look. I like the way they look on the shelf. I like the little book they come with. I like all the little extra, extra comedy commentary and stuff. Um, but I think, you know, there's something about collecting. There's something to be said in this episode. And I think this is what makes it a great episode is that you can kind of interpret it a number of different ways. And, and the audience kind of brings something of themselves to the, the final conclusion. But, I think there's something to be said about collecting for collecting's sake and also uh, in, yeah. a, in a kind of broader scope, production uh, and, and commerce for, for its own sake. And, you know, I was it's, it reminded me of a conversation when they, they, they make this realization um, of, of seeing the production line and then all the stuff that, that Francine was saying earlier about uh, how it's just a scam to sell useless stuff. Uh, during, uh, we had a, a storm couple weeks ago here in Halifax and I was having some friends over for the storm because we were on a better power grid and we didn't want to lose power and we were bored so we were watching Shark Tank and my goodness is so much of the stuff on Shark Tank I was like oh my gosh I could never be an entrepreneur or an inventor because so I mm-hmm. would say 99.999% of the products on Shark Tank is stuff that literally no one needs it's like people trying to innovate it's the old meme about like oh uh, uh, capitalism breeds innovation or whatever and then here's this product yeah. that like literally no one in their right mind should ever want uh uh it's just you know people trying to uh create things for the pure uh purpose of of selling them without any kind of other higher purpose right um and so there is something interesting to be gained from this episode it's it's talking about it's working on multiple levels in that, you know, there's this commentary on, you know, Sue Ellen is getting this value from them because there's like an educational element and, and she likes, the, you know, the history. But then also on another level, it's like, well, and, and you know, Francine was getting out of it because there was like female empowerment and she was seeing some representation. Um, but then we take another step back um, at this whole thing with the critical eye and it's like, to what end is all this happening? And it's literally to yeah. make money. Um, so I think there's mm-hmm. something interesting to be said about, you know, the fandom cultural in general. And, like, you think about things like Marvel movies. And and when uh, – this is another great example. So when Francine sees uh, the golfer and she's like, oh, this is so great. Like, I, I'm seeing, like, a girl that reminds me of myself. You know, Francine is someone who's been a, t- a little bit of a tomboy. She's an athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, she looks up to this type of person. It's similar to, like, you know, when Black Panther comes out, that's huge for a whole set of people that they get to see themselves represented represented in this big-budget superhero movie, this big uh, uh, kind of media release. But then we take another step back and, and we realize that, okay, yes, this is representation and yes, this is important to this huge group of people. But then also at the end of the day, it is just kind of this cynical uh, uh, cash grab by this major corporation in Disney. Um, and a lot of right. this stuff, a lot of this kind of Funko 
pop tier of fandom, um, it, that's the end. When people are talking about, like, oh, I watched the Avengers movies a million times, so it would be the uh, highest grossing movie in theaters. The only the, yeah. all that ends up serving um, is the Disney Corporation, who doesn't care about you, right? Um, so, yeah. who would have thunk that all of this <laughs> would be in this Arthur episode? Uh, well, I can I can tell you feel quite passionately yeah. about this about this. I mean, I don't think that's a secret, mm-hmm. especially knowing you in real life. But this this really seems to have have. Uh, have captured your attention. Right. Well, and, and, and that's just like uh, how I'm, I, I have no idea if that was intentional. I have a feeling it is based on, you know, some of the very specific lines and imagery that are in kind of this episode, you know, the, all the factory imagery from the latter half and then kind of all of the, 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 at least lampooning the idea of this world girl world and like the girl, the woman talking about how she had to remortgage her house. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't think I'm, I'm pulling this out of nowhere, but I was very surprised to see kind of an Arthur episode tackle this level of subject matter. But we're not quite at the end, right? So so they come to realize, they, they have this, this moment where they break, uh, and then they all go back to Muffy's place, uh, and Muffy is kind of doing a Marie Kondo, where she's going to donate uh, over half of her World Girl collection to charity, um, and then they come to the realization that she has the part that Sue Ellen was looking for for her Tibetan world girl, except the color's wrong. It's it's historically inaccurate. Um, and then they decide, this was kind of where the opposite lost me a little bit, is that yeah. then, uh, much like people with that, that hustle mindset, starting a side gig, starting a uh, an Etsy store, they decide to kind of paint the accessories and resell them themselves. Thus yeah. getting sucked and into the system of capitalism, Will. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, hey, man, we all, it, it has its hooks in all of us. I, I can relate. There's no ethical consumption, Will. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, that, that is kind of the end of the episode. It was, it was like, especially, it felt like we were really, like, working up to something, and then we just kind of couldn't get, couldn't get as far as we'd like to go. But then again, I think it's... Well, well, I think we'll. I mean, geez, we'll we'll talk about it in a sec here. Let's rewind back to D Speak George as we kind of end off the episode here. Um, what did you think of that one? Obviously, it kind of scratched the a weird itch in your brain. Yes, Do You Speak George was delightfully weird. What an odd topic to pick for an Arthur episode, as everybody's trying to speak these different made up languages to one another. Uh, I thought this episode was fun. Um, I thought it was entertaining. It was nice to see a George episode. The dream sequences were delightfully weird. Uh, the ending is absolutely one of those endings where the situation is resolved immediately. Uh, George goes, why don't we start speaking English? And then everyone goes, yeah, good idea. And then everything's okay within like 10 seconds. Right. Um, so it's very much like a, a, there's not much of a climax to this episode. It, it kind of gets fixed with a snap of the fingers. Uh, some of that tribal garb stuff was a little bit sus. Mm. Uh, but uh, all in all, I thought it was, you know, an entertaining episode. How about yourself, Will? I thought it was okay. I don't think I don't think it w- kind of struck me in the way that it, that it struck you. Um, you're right. Always appreciate it when Arthur gets a little kooky, a little creative, and uh, de- I mean, it's definitely something that I, I think kids are prone to do. So, uh, I felt like just the episode itself was was wasn't a whole lot to it. I felt like it was like went by pretty fast. I didn't have a whole lot to say about it. Always do appreciate a George episode, though. It's not one of my favorites of his. But it's it's fine, and uh, it's I'm, I also I also kind of didn't 
it, it kind of ends it kind of ends weird of just like well let's just go back to the way it is and just like uh, okay all right uh but i there were little points here and there about accessibility they were like i i appreciated the nods to accessibility here where george realizes that like oh his language um might not work for someone who is physically disabled or for um or just talking about how like it's hard for him to understand languages because he's dyslexic. So I appreciate that Arthur is keeping the Arthur writers are keeping this in the front of their minds. And especially as we go forward, I'm hoping that there will be more, not just nods to accessibility, but talking about accessibility issues and all other types of social issues at the front of things. Because when you talk about social issues under the guise of Arthur, it can actually be really interesting. And that's where I'm that's where I'm at with World Girls. So I wonder, I am curious on any listeners kind of more deeper thoughts about World Girls and kind of what it means to them if it is one of your favorite episodes. But for me, there's not a lot of Arthur episodes I can think of where like I'm still kind of thinking about it. Like I'm still kind of processing it because we clearly, you and I both clearly had a lot to say about what this episode had to say um but it's because there are a lot of different viewpoints within the idea of let's you can call it class consciousness you can call it capitalism you can call it fandom culture there's a lot of views represented and i think they're all represented pretty honestly that none of them feel like straw man characters or like the the opinion that ha- the opinion that has to be wrong except mm. for maybe Muffy's like in the end Muffy's kind of reduced to tears and been like what was it all for but as we also see like they're not out of world girls like that's still a thing it's not like we defeated it or like it's going to stop being a factor in their lives it clearly will be at least for a little bit but you get to see where those where those opinions come from and this is this is i mean i i think that arthur much like kids shows of course and i don't begrudge them for this is a show where it'll often tell you what the message is at the end as it should because it is for a younger audience but this is the rare one where it's like what do you think and i when i kind of i was taken aback when i was watching i'm like what do i think and so (laughs) this this is where talking about it with somebody is actually really beneficial i mean i i I like talking to you about even, you know, the less the less yeah. deep Arthur episodes. No, I'll, but I'll uh, talk to you about uh, a preschool show for babies uh, <laughs> on on PBS. That some of these okay. shows have significantly less things to sink your teeth into than Arthur of all things. Um, but yeah, I this is one where I'm like, I need to talk about this with someone, and thankfully, you and I kind of we're just alike enough that we can have kind of, I guess, a civil conversation, but we, I, I hope we can both add to each other's thoughts as well. Yeah. So I think, I think that, I mean, in terms of an episode, like I thought it was fine. Like there are a couple of good lines here and there, but really I'm just still kind of thinking about this in terms of where my head's at, at 30, which I mean, if you've listened to this show, I feel like it's pretty self-evident in how the amount of times we said capitalism and class consciousness and all this kind of stuff. Like I'm very, I'm I'm left-leaning in real life, and Lucas is as well. So that's kind of the lens we're looking at it from. And I do wonder if how this reached younger viewers at the time. And so I, 
I'm I'm not ready to close the book on the conversation on this episode, and which is why I'd really like to hear from you, the listener, if you have any extended thoughts on this, and maybe we can talk about it on the next episode. But Lucas, you've also had quite a lot to say. Um, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts in general. So we were you put out a post on the Elwood City Limits social media this past week. Um, we've been talking a lot lately about all-time great Arthur episodes, right? Um, and yeah. I had I gave it a good think, and and you know my initial favorite is of course the Blizzard. We've talked about this before. That's always like been a childhood fave of mine, and and when we rewatched it, it, it delivered. Um, but a, a new favorite um, that appeared only through us talking about it on the podcast was Grandpa Dave's Old Country Farm. And it, yeah. the reason I have to list it as one of my favorites is because it's one of the most brought up episodes on Elwood City Limits. Probably up there with DW getting punched in terms of the episode we bring up the most. And the reason for that is, um, is that Arthur, at its most effective, I think the Arthur episodes that really, really shine and show kind of the best of what Arthur's capable of, is one where, one, it tackles a subject that you don't normally see in children's television. In Grandpa Dave's Country Farm, it's uh, the wrestling with a parent aging um, and not being willing to come to terms with that yeah. and wanting to do everything themselves. Something that I've probably not seen in any other uh, show uh, aimed at eight-year-olds. Um, totally. And so, but the other thing about that episode is it does that in a way where it doesn't hit you over the head. You kind of come to the conclusion yourself, and it's funny. Um, in World Girls, it's a very similar kind of case where the... The, the episode is so kind of not hitting you over the head that it's left, like we t- I touched on this a little bit earlier, um, the audience is left to kind of bring a lot of their own experience to it. There's not necessarily a hard and fast moral. Mm-hmm. And, and something mm-hmm. that we've been seeing with these like later seasons is that I think the show has gotten away from that a little bit. And at, at, at its worst, it's gotten a little bit after school specially where you know, yeah. we've really been kind of hammered over the head with how we're supposed to feel about the situation. Whereas this is just trying to, I think, this is my interpretation, is to just trying to get kids to look at this and look at consumer culture with a critical lens. At the least, at the least, that has to be intentional. Uh, we got a woman talking about how she had to remortgage her house so her uh, kid could go to this, like, doll theme park. Um so we, we have this critique of consumerism, which, again, pretty advanced subject for an eight-year-old. Um, and then it's presented in this way that is not, you know, cartoonishly overt. Um, they're not, like, having uh, Muffy maniacally laugh in a tub full of dollar bills, which some episodes have literally been that kind of um, uh, plain spoken in what they're trying to get across. Mm. This is one where you have to kind of read between the lines a little bit. And then supplement that with it's funny it's a funny episode all right. the all the all of francine's line in this episode are really great in the beginning um all the lines around like buffy has no idea like about the world at all <laughs> uh, uh like she doesn't understand like literally any other culture um uh all the kind of like the stuff with like bailey the butler poor bailey's like walking dw around this giant complex um, Muffy. uh excuse me muffy yeah excuse me and then we get, like, it, it also worked for me on this level where, listen, and this is kind of the, 
the temptation of this kind of type of consumerism and collecting is that the art is all kind of cool of seeing the, the dolls themselves are cool. Yeah. Like you could tell like the, the animation team, like the character designers, what have you had a lot of fun designing all these characters and all these sets. Like I'm looking at Muffy's room right now and she's got this like crazy room with all these dioramas for all mm-hmm. the world girls. And there's like tons to look at in the background. Um, this is all to say, I've had quite a few things to say about this episode. This is all to say that I totally see what people are saying when they color this as one of their favorite episodes. I'm not ready to say it's one of my all-time favorites, but boy howdy, um, I would, and this is not to spoil our top five at the end of the season, but my word is this a highlight of the season. Uh, I would say, you know, you know an Arthur, an Arthur episode special when I'm bringing up Grandpa Dave's old country farm. Yeah. So that's, I, that's, I, I would I would say that that kind of comparison speaks for itself. That's hallowed, uh, and, that's hallowed ground right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I'm really interested because it's a type of message that I think is a tough one to sell to a younger audience because just simply put, not a lot of kids have that kind of level of critical thinking or like kind of large scale thinking at that point. So I'm curious if it became people's favorites when they saw it for the first time or as they got older, I could totally see a YouTube video being made out of this of just like the time that Arthur was like radical left or whatever. Um, I also, this is the, this is the thing too, is like, are we only perceiving it as radical left because kind of this is the lens that me and you look at the world, yes. right? Like yeah. I could see someone having this be their favorite episode and it's because the art is so good. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Just because they liked seeing all the dolls, right? Yeah, no, like, totally. This, just because American Girls were popular and they kind of liked seeing this trend uh, 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 portrayed on Arthur. But that mm-hmm. aside, I think the fact that it is ambiguous in that way is what makes it an effective and interesting episode. Agreed. And I, my final thing on this is that the Arthur writers have always shown that they have a very, like, unlike other, like, I guess, my first thing I think of is the WWE, who are con- constantly behind the culture, the Arthur writers always seem to be very much, if not on the pulse, at least close to kind of what is popular what is being talked about. And so like the American girl dolls have of course been around for a long time and they made a very good like parody slash pastiche of what that is. Just kind of like they did with uh, Woogles, which mm-hmm. I think was a really good takeoff. I'm like the type of stupid nineties toys that everybody collected. So they seem to really know what they're talking about and it really, and it helps the overall message of the show. Okay, man. Whoa. We had a lot to talk about there and I'm glad that we did. Uh, and it's certainly, was built up to us and I think uh, filled what we uh, kind of exceeded expectations in a way. And I'm glad that we got to talk about that long form. So we'll just uh, quickly run down what you can expect from us. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Elwood City Limits. Of course, next week is our Patreon-exclusive podcast for the kids. We're going to be talking about Between the Lions, which is another long-anticipated show for listeners and patrons to get us to talk about. So that's what we will be discussing. Uh, Of course, patrons, if you have any episode recommendations for Between the Lions, let us know in the Discord. In two weeks, we will be talking about the season 10 finale, and that includes the stories What's Cooking and Buster's Special Delivery. Season 10 is almost in the rearview mirror, and not long after that, we will be talking about our favorite episodes of the season and general impressions. So, it's going to be, um, we're going to keep bringing you the content as Halloween gets closer, 
and of course, uh, revel- reveling in scary movies and scary media and everything uh, to be done with it. And of course, there's no greater horror than than the capitalistic regime we live <laughs> under. <laughs> we'll see if that gets us any bad reviews from any of any uh, any right leading listeners. But of course, we all mean it in fun. Thank you again for joining us, and we really hope that you have a great week ahead of you. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... Wow, I'm flexible. We'll see you next time.